0: Welcome to the Real News Network and welcome to Reality Asserts Itself. I'm Paul Jay. Leo Panitch is professor emeritus and senior scholar at York University in Toronto. He's the co-editor of the annual Socialist Register, the 2018 volume of which is on rethinking democracy. Leo's co-author of the book In and Out of Crisis: The Financial Meltdown and Left Alternatives, and most recently co-author of the UK Deutsche Book Prize winner. The Making of Global Capitalism, The Political Economy of American Empire. The work of Leo Panitch has been featured widely, from The Guardian and The Globe and Mail to Red Pepper and The Real News Network. His influence spans far across the academic disciplines of history, sociology, political science and political economy, from Canada to around the globe. As Brian Palmer recently put it, over the course of the 1970s to present, Panitch has emerged Arguably as Canada's most widely recognized and internationally acclaimed public intellectual of the socialist left. No other Canadian as is likely to be read, heralded, and even occasionally repudiated in Athens and Sao Paulo, in Alexandria and Sydney, and Johannesburg and Oslo as Leo Panitch. And Leo Panitch now joins me in the studio. Thanks very much for joining. Glad to be here, Paul. So, as most of our viewers know, uh, we usually start Reality Asserts Itself with the personal backstory of our guest, and then we get more into some of the issues and, and what they think. But we're, we're starting with how their political views of the world were formed. So, so Leo, talk a bit about growing up in Winnipeg. Uh, you grew up in a very political section of Winnipeg, which, like my father in Montreal, very left-wing, communists, social democrats, socialists, all mixed up with various forms of uh, Jewish politics and Yiddish politics. Uh, most people spoke Yiddish, not Hebrew. Um, talk about growing up in such a family and, and, and the role your father played, who himself was, uh, was an activist at the time.
1: Yeah, uh, that part of Winnipeg is famous for uh, having been a hotbed of radicalism. Uh, And I was part of that, even though I was born in 1945, uh, when it wasn't at its height already. It uh, was at its height from the Winnipeg general strike on from 1919, right through the 20s and 30s. But the institutions uh, that uh, were set down in that period continued through my youth. And, you know, uh, Winnipeg elected... Uh, Joe Zukin, who was a alderman uh, in the city, became a very famous figure. He was a, a communist who was elected right through the Cold War and into the 1970s. He was a hero in the city as a communist politician. My own family were social democrats. My father joined the CCF. Uh, in 1934, the year after it was uh, uh, founded, that's the forerunner of the New Democratic Party in Canada, Social Democratic Party, Uh, then a labor farm party. He was an activist in his trade union. He was a furrier, uh, and uh, at one point was president of the union local. Uh, Our childhood was full of uh, socialist references. Uh, I had an aunt who was a communist, my mother's sister, they came to Canada as orphans right after World War I. And uh, even in the 50s, they were still arguing over the Hitler-Stalin pact, with my dad saying, you see what the communists do, and my Aunt Rose saying, well, what else could they do? They weren't ready for the war yet. Um, so you know that was part of the milieu. I went to a Yiddish school, a school in which we didn't learn Hebrew, and I don't speak Hebrew, um, but in which we learned Yiddish, Jewish, Yiddish literature, poetry. Uh, it was very secular, uh, non-religious, as my family was. We didn't speak Yiddish at home, but at the school we did. And that school was seen as part of the socialist culture and was part of the socialist culture. So it was a remarkable place. You, know, you could run Mickey Mouse uh, in North Winnipeg for the CCF and then the NDP, and he'd get elected. Now, I know uh,
0: you, you gave a talk in Winnipeg some time ago. And your search to understand your father and, and that period, helping to understand your own roots, uh, led you to try to dig into the politics of your father and, and the more earlier period, and and for your father and many of the Jews, um, I guess other than Jews that directly joined out of the Communist Party, uh, the idea of their Jewish identity. Or I should add, which in those days really, to be more precise, would be more an Ashkenazi, East European, Yiddish-speaking identity, not Jewishness in the abstract as some people like to promote now, some people being Israel or Zionists mm-hmm. anyway. But they did consider themselves Zionists. They, they didn't separate the socialism from the Zionism. And how how did that affect the politics of your well, father? Well, some and the did period. and
1: some didn't. I mean, what happened in Eastern Europe uh, just at about the same time that the great workers' movements emerged? And often those great workers' movements, especially in Eastern Europe, were heavily Jewish. The proletariat in the cities of the Ukraine, sometimes in Poland, were Jewish proletariats. Uh, the peasantry was Ukrainian. Uh, or Polish, uh, uh, and Jews didn't think of themselves as Ukrainians or Poles. I mean, those cities, those c- countries, were you know, uh, made up of very different ethnic groups. And early 20th century. This would be the early 20 early 20th century. Uh, really, in some senses, right up into the 30s. Uh, what happened in that part of the world at the time that the socialist movements were arising was that uh, Jews broke away from. A rabbi dominated culture and uh, established a secular literature in Yiddish, uh, which was heavily tinted towards the labor movement, towards political radicalism, etc. Uh, at the same time, they were engaged in political struggles, uh, sometimes as intellectuals, more often as workers. Uh, A wing of what became the Communist Party, uh, the Bund in uh, Russia, uh, was uh, crucial to the splits between the Mensheviks and Bolsheviks. This was a Jewish wing of the Russian Social Democratic Party. Uh, The split was really over whether the Bund would be federated to that party as a group or whether individuals had to join that party as individual Jews. That's what the original split over the Mensheviks and Bolsheviks was about. Uh, There was a difference that gradually developed as some Jews oriented themselves to, we need to get out of here, especially after the great pogrom in Kishinev near Odessa in 1905. A split began to develop between those who said, No, we have to make a, res- a revolution here. Just just back up just a sec. For people who don't get what
0: a pogrom in 1904 and 1905 is, which is many of our younger audience and others who have never heard of such a thing, just quick well, one minute. I'm sure they've
1: heard the w- word pogrom. Well, I am sure they have not. Really? Yeah. Um, well, it's the kind well, of we, thing we've, that. We've uh, talked about the teaching of history in schools here. So, uh, <laughs> Well, it, it, uh, it Jews were often the subject of uh, hoods, uh, anti-Semites going into an area of the city In your and beating well all over Eastern Europe, and you know, beating the hell out of people, raping women, uh, killing people uh, on anti-Semitic grounds, um, and, and the word has become more common for those kinds of activities stretching all the way to Rwanda, or indeed South Side Chicago, when it's a police riot. Um, So that's what I was referring to. And And in 1904, 1905,
0: you have a big wave of emigration to the United States, to Canada, people escaping these these, That's right. And there was one very
1: famous one in the southern Ukraine Odessa. Uh, and, and a lot of it, it had to do with seizing uh, Jewish property. They wanted to part force of it people it out to and, do and it seize do it the property. Out, yeah, part of that to do that. Part of it had to dividing the working class by identifying Jews as the killers of Christ, and you know that kind of appalling anti-Semitism that was in which religious ignorance was often used in, against people's own interests. Yeah, this some, goes back a very a bit, long a bit way. Bit of the
0: wall on the border debate. Uh,
1: in a more current terminology. Yes, that's terminology. right, yeah, that's right. So, you know, a certain difference emerged among people who were building the secular culture, who were engaged in politically progressive activity about whether Jews should escape from that part of the world, emigrate to North America, or, because by that time there had been, a, let's get back to Palestine movement, Uh, This is where we came from, we'll only be able to escape this. And it was a time, remember, of national liberation struggles. Well, if we're going to be liberated as Jews, we've got to find some place to live. And, uh, (laughs) and, And the difference emerged between some of those people who were Zionists, became known as Zionists, we need to get back to Zion, right? And those who wanted to stay and make a revolution. Uh, and, and even those who stayed, many of them remained, we need to get there eventually. And there's another
0: split in those who want to get back to Zion, some who represent a kind of more, I guess, the capitalist values, sure. and those who think they're going to create some
1: socialist nirvana. Most of those who were the original uh, immigrants, uh, most of them, in certain not those who funded them, but those who got there, would have thought of themselves as socialists. Uh, and
0: we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get further into your father, because how they jive with the socialist values and the attitude towards Palestinians. But let's save that and, and get back to where y- your father and, and his values. Because your father is, is, becomes a labor Zionist.
1: Well, I think a lot of people use uh, Zionism now in a very ahistorical way. Uh, and I think wrongly. Uh, it was very possible to be a very left-wing and indeed internationalist Zionist. Uh, You know, in in the context of the persecution at the time, in the context of Jews being a persecuted minority, to assert we have a right to a nation state, without thinking about who was living there, all those consequences, uh, was was not uncommon. Uh, My father certainly thought of himself as an internationalist, and I remember him saying to me a number of times, if the world wasn't so bloody nationalist, I'd be very happy not have nothing to do with nationalism. He didn't think of himself much that way. And, of course, coming to North America and his main activity, as was true of most people who were uh, even called themselves Zionists at that time, their main activity was in the unions. Their main activity was in a socialist party. Uh, that was their main activity. Uh, that's not to say that they weren't in favor of establishing a homeland for the Jews. And even there, there's another division.
0: I was reading a quote from Einstein today hmm. uh, who who favored uh, a state, but a binational state, uh, and, and was very wary of this idea of just a Jewish state, that there should be a binational state of some kind. And 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 apparently that had some support because he, he, apparently he's actually nominated at one point to be president of Israel. Yes, and he turns was. it down.
1: Uh, but he was very so much in, he was in favor of the establishment of Israel and the 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 awareness of people that uh, that wouldn't be a state in which Jews and Arabs would coexist wasn't very high at that time. It was only with what the Palestinians called the Nakba uh, that that became so clear. Uh, there had been, of course, divisions uh, going back through the 20s and 30s. But to, for someone who was living in North Winnipeg, you know, that was hardly what one saw uh, clearly in terms of what was going on, of course. Uh, there would later be a good deal of propaganda that would sweep the plight of the Palestinians under the carpet. But look, this is nothing new in the history of the establishment of the nation states. If you look at the African nation states, the ethnic groups that were thrown together as the colonial powers drew the borders. In fact, this is still going on with the Kurds all over the Middle East and North Africa, right? Uh, you see it in the Syrian conflict today. Uh, so ethnic groups were thrown together. Uh, and, and uh, of course, the Jews in that sense were migrants for the most part, although there had been Jews who had never left that part of the world, and there'd some who'd come after the Spanish uh, expulsion of the Jews in uh, 1492, et cetera, et cetera. So there'd been Jews for a long time there as well. But the the consequences, of course, of establishing a nation state in a multi-ethnic, multi-religious arena is often fraught with conflict, uh, with identities, uh, with irreconcilable ones. Uh, So things weren't at all, in in that sense, nearly as clear through the first half of the 20th century as they appear to be now, of course. Moreover, the people who have been running Israel for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, especially since 1967, uh, have been those who are on the far right of the Zionist movement, uh, who were the least uh, internationalist, uh, the least socialist, the most oriented to individualism and to a certain degree of tribalism.
0: So y- your father, as a labor Zionist, is a very different concept than what might understand that today. It's hard to believe someone would be a socialist and a Zionist in the sense of supporting today's Israel and the policies of today's Israel. but in the time your father talking early 20th century well there wasn't an Israel well wonder so was there weren't an Is- any
1: policies to support in that sense well but yeah.
0: there was a there was some practice but I, as you say I don't know how people knew I mean the expulsions of Palestinians in the 1920s I've read accounts of uh, Jewish taking over of factories and expelling all the Palestinian workers in the 1920s so I mean, the, the contradictions were already fairly sharp there I don't know how much people knew about that here.
1: I don't think they knew much, and I don't think those were as common practices as they appear to be looking back. Uh, but certainly, there was uh, those kinds of things were going on. I'm sure. Yeah.
0: So, so your father's uh, there's various contradictions in the Jewish community. You have Jews who are part of the Communist Party and not part of straightforward Jewish organizations and then with those in the Jewish organizations you have kind of social more social democrat centrist kind of social democrats more kind of left uh, where's your family fit into this and how well, does this as i say i
1: think you know this conversation distorts uh, what was the reality of my childhood and the reality of north winnipeg i don't think that the kinds of divisions that you're identifying around Zionism were top-of-the-mind. Oh, no. What I just said wasn't about Zionism. I'm talking about
0: the kind of divisions that exist, frankly, in every community, about the different types of politics within the left.
1: Yeah. Uh, But that's related to this point. Uh, You know, I I don't think they were top-of-the-mind, the the ones that were over the question of the State of Israel or not, Uh, not least because that was such a distant prospect. Uh, You know, there were divisions uh, in the left
0: generally. Can I say what I'm suggesting is not a difference over the state of Israel, but there is a difference on whether your politics is done through the lens or actually organization of a Jewish organization, so it's Jewish and such and such, or directly through a more secular, like the Communist Party or something that doesn't have a, a Jewish hook to it or some other left organization? But, yeah, but your but, family you know, grew up within the milieu that mostly this is done through Jewish, Jewish culture.
1: Yeah. Uh, although if you were in the Communist Party in North Winnipeg or in Montreal or in New York, uh, you were surrounded very often by your Jewish neighbors, friends, cousins, relatives, etc. Uh, so there were certain ethnic communities. That's one of the reasons the Communist Party was limited in North America where the Communist Party sank roots. uh, In Canada, very deeply amongst the Finns, uh, but also amongst Ukrainians who came before 1917, uh, before the Russian Revolution, usually. Uh, uh, There were elements of German communities in North America who were uh, communist. Uh, So uh, there was always an ethnic tinge even to the formation and organization of the Communist Party.
0: And what's, and what's your father's attitude towards the communism and the Communist Party?
1: Well, uh, you know, it was part of the family in a sense. Uh, he was a left social democrat, uh, had, you know, would have known people in his union who were in, in, often they were leaders, in fact, in his union were was led by communists. Um, they were people who worked together, but also often disagreed. They less often disagreed about the question of Zionism, I think, than they disagreed about uh, uh, strategies and tactics uh, in in relation to uh, union or working class organizing, or in relation to the whether one supports the twists and turns of the Stalinist Soviet Union. Uh, so in the uh, period when Stalin adopted the class, of, class against class line, 1928 to 1933, 34, uh, where the Social Democrats in Germany were called social fascists by the communists, etc., uh, a separate trade union was created. And there were divisions amongst working class people. Uh, I wasn't around, but I'm sure my father shared it, over whether those red unions were to be supported. Uh, there were differences, obviously, uh, over the question of uh, the dictatorship going on in the Soviet Union. I'm sure my father was more likely to believe stories about the show trials than was my Aunt Rose, who was a communist. Who worked in garment district was, in Toronto. Yeah, my mm-hmm. father worked in the sweatshops in the fur industry, the, the aristocrat of the needle trade. They were known because fur is such an expensive, expensive product to work on. Uh, She worked uh, in the textiles, uh, in the the schmata business as it was known, in the, uh, uh, she often sewed gloves in fact. But She did that in Winnipeg but then during the 1930s for a period she moved to Toronto uh, and worked there. My dad moved to Toronto for two years in the 1930s because he couldn't get a job in Winnipeg having been blackballed after a strike uh, at the Hurtig Fur Company where his head was broken open by a scab uh, wielding a wrench. Um, so uh, those divisions uh, were you know much more about either Soviet politics or differences over organizing tactics, uh, much more bitter, much more important, much more significant uh, than the ones we were talking about before. But
0: a thread throughout all of this, Jewish identity, the Yiddish language, it's a big part of family life, of culture, and, and it's part of the politics in a it's sense. It's
1: part of the politics. I was sent to a secular Jewish school known as the Perret School. Perretz, I O Perret was one of the great novelists and poets of that period I was talking about. Who you found out it, later was a Marxist himself. Well, it, uh, it was certainly oriented to Marxism, yeah. definitely, as most of these guys were. Uh, uh, I remember coming up, I was given, in fact, a copy. Uh, of uh, Das Kapital in Yiddish uh, by a uh, non-Jewish fellow in Ottawa uh, who used to come hear me lecture occasionally. Uh, His mother had been a communist alderman in Toronto and he gave me this, published by the Kropotkin Society, no less, Kropotkin was a famous anarchist uh, in New York. Um, So sure, I mean, I remember someone telling me they came across an anarchist pamphlet produced in Edmonton Alberta uh, in 1918 in Yiddish. So the whole panoply of, but you would have found this in the Finnish community, you would have found it in the radical Ukrainian community, you would have found it in the United States certainly in the German community from the 1850s right through to World War I. This was not unique to, the, I happened to grow up in that community. Now, at the same time, these secular oriented Jews weren't entirely by any means inward looking. Although I was sent to a Yiddish school and I used to say poems on the Yiddish radio station when I was 10 years old uh, because I've always had a good radio voice. Uh, I was born with it, I guess. My dad must have had it as well. Um, so, but, but our lives weren't entirely oriented Uh, inwardly to the community. Uh, As I said, uh, it was not only communists who were oriented that way, it was also my dad joining the CCF at such an early age.
0: And for Uh, American viewers just... The CCF
1: again is known as the the Canadian Commonwealth or the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation. Uh, And it's the four, you know, you are trying to build a socialist commonwealth where wealth is in common. Uh, It was founded in uh, the early 1930s by radical farmers, and radical workers, and intellectuals. And it's the forerunner of Canada's Social Democratic Party, the New Democratic Party, the NDP as it's now known. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so where were we? Uh, I was trying to get at the sense in which even though the Jews were radical and North Winnipeg was known as where the radical Jews lived, uh, you didn't have to be a communist to be oriented primarily to struggles going on Uh, secular struggles going on in Canada, or for that matter in North America, or more broadly internationally.
0: You are born in 1945. So this is just after a horrendous genocide against Jews in Europe. Um, Jewish identity in some ways, I would think, would be even more important in the family in the sense of what had just happened to so many Jews. Uh, McCarthyism is just—you're four or five years old, I guess. Uh, McCarthyism hits. How, how does?
1: What is the milieu in your family? And your father's attitude during a this lot period? of J- Jews of my age say that uh, that was all swept under the carpet, that they never heard of the Holocaust until you know the '60s. That this was all buried. That certainly wasn't the case in North Winnipeg. It wasn't the case in my milieu. It wasn't the case uh, in my family. Uh, it was certainly, I was conscious of it as I grew up. Were there family one of members the poems, that were One killed? of the poems I used to say on the Jewish radio as a young boy uh, was the poem on the Warsaw Ghetto, um, and which begins with the angel of death uh, arriving into the ghetto on the first night of Passover. Uh, it's a very moving and stunning poem, and I was able to say it in Yiddish. Well, we didn't speak Yiddish at home, but because of the school I went to where half day we would study Yiddish, half day do the English curriculum. So I, it, yes, and there was, you know, I remember every year there was a holo- Holocaust memorial ceremony that, you know, very large numbers of people in the community would, would attend. I often hear people say they grew up not hearing about it, that it was suppressed, people were afraid to talk about it, etc. That wasn't at all the case in my community. And there must have also been a very strong anti-fascist
0: oh, of course. culture and, of course. and consciousness of that.
1: Of course. And that was true before the war, obviously. Uh, and it remained true uh, uh, after the war. Uh, you need to remember that uh, Roosevelt was a hero uh, to social democrats and communists alike. As the you know, for the communists, uh, uh, Roosevelt was their, you know their man. The communists had come behind him. Uh, during the 1930s, and then especially during the Soviet-American alliance during the 1940s. uh, Often trade unionists, left-wing trade unionists like my father, would be more critical than the communists, because the communists had signed the no-strike pledge during the war. Uh, So there was a bit of a twist there, of course. Um, No, the communists were necessarily seen as the more militant. Uh, and insofar as Stalin at the end of the war was pushing the, the national road to socialism in each country, that was going to be his uh, uh, proof to the West that the Soviets weren't trying to take over the world, right? Uh, it was often uh, people who weren't communists, uh, who were less nas- less la- nationalist. In Canada, part, you know, part, to be a communist meant to try to find a radical tradition in the Canadian heritage that would justify a communist being a Canadian nationalist, right?
0: That was very common. Well, in the next segment, let's, let's pick up on McCarthyism, Can- Canadian style, and how that affected your father and yourself growing up in the 50s, and, uh, and some departure in terms of your, I mean, you go to England, you go to school, and you started going off to a large extent on your own path. Uh, so, please join us for continuation of Reality: A Search Itself with Leo Panitch on the Real News Network.